reading tonight a couple of verses out of the book of Deuteronomy, 10th chapter, 12 and 13. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13. And now, O Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to wash in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I have commanded thee this day for good. In Deuteronomy, we have Israel's leader, revered leader, about ready to die. And he's imparting his final words of instruction and encouragement to the people. If his words are heeded, it'll allow the people to reach their full potential. But if this leader, Moses, is ignored and the words that God inspired him to speak are not listened to, Israel's dreams will be dissolved. He's exhorting the people to live in a certain way in order to have a proper relationship with God. This book of Deuteronomy is teeming with helpful instructions, and uh, it's for the, their task at hand, which was about to enter this promised land. But it's relevant to us as well. There's so much in the book, especially a, a verse, a couple of verses like this, that are so applicable to us today. And during this time that he's expounding these instructions to these people, there's a critical component in this. And it's encapsulated in this passage. I'm going to read it again. Listen, it's very, very short, understandable. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I have commanded thee this day for thy good. Did you notice? He's making a, not making a statement here. He's asking a question. Why? At this point, does Moses turn um, his instructions into a question? Because they really already know what to do. It's a reminder. It's to reinforce what they already know and to redirect those that are straight away. Maybe you had a parent that does that to you. I, my parent did that to me. That when they knew, when they wanted to impart some instruction to me and knew that I already knew what it was, they'd ask it as a question, which requires like a response, right? You have to, oh yeah, okay, I get it. It's a tactic. And that's what Moses used. This you know, very astute tactic. It's an insightful approach from someone who really in his early days wasn't very adept at helping people to be successful. And that's what he wants. He wants to help these people to be successful. But he, Moses, as a leader, didn't really start out uh, very well in doing this. We know his history. We know briefly that he was uh, a, um, a member of Pharaoh's court. He was a prince in the court, adopted son of Pharaoh. Uh, he realized that the people that he came from were in trouble, and he tried to take matters into his own hand and help the people there, and he failed miserably as a defender of the people. And he spent many a year in the wilderness tending sheep. Pretty lowly occupation for somebody who used to be a prince in the court of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And then 
in that wilderness, some many years later, the Lord approached him and instructed him that he was to take on a, a formidable task, and, and he didn't want to do it. He basically, um, for all intents and purposes, says, I don't think I'm the man for the job. I, don't, I can't do it. So here's a person that, you know, as a leader of people, he wasn't really making a mark for himself. He wasn't off to a good, you know, off to a good start. Uh, but when he did take on that leadership role, he became overwhelmed with it. And it tells us a little bit further in his own narrative, when it speaks about it, uh, this in in the book of Exodus, he had to take wise counsel from his father-in-law when he was trying to counsel the people, and it became overwhelming to him. He couldn't meet the needs of the people, and he wanted them to succeed. He wanted to do the right thing by them, but it was a huge HR problem for him for lack of a better word, human resources. He's not good at human resources, this Moses. And I get it. You know, the management of, of people, is, it's not easy. You, you, you really step into a, a daunting role when you become involved in human resources. And I really admire people that are good at human resources. I, 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 I marvel at how, uh, how adept they are when they're, when they're skilled at it. But I notice that people that are good at human resources not only have a relatively high IQ, but they have what's also called a high EQ. Not just intellectual, uh, but they're, they've got a high emotional quotient. They're able to um, uh, help people from an emotional level. And that, that can be very helpful. It makes them good when, when, if you're involved in HR, you're hiring into a culture. And by the way, we're in a culture. Our church is a culture. The greater church, the body of Christ, is a culture. And the Lord understood this when he spoke through Moses to the people on how they need to relate to him in order to have success. Moses is asking a question that actually could be prefaced with this. What does success look like? I've heard that a lot here recently. That's been kind of a buzzword that's happening around in work work circles and such. Uh, People, I've even interviewed a couple people here in the past few months that have actually asked me, well, will you tell me what success looks like? And you have to be prepared for that. And I love the practicality of this approach, by the way. I'm not put off by it. I really, really like it. After all, how can a person know if they're meeting expectations if the one that's leading them doesn't clearly define what those expectations are. It's a height of frustration, really, for a subordinate when they're judged on performance, when their performance success hasn't been clearly defined. And people need to ask this very fair question. What does success look like? And that's what we have in our text here in this book of Deuteronomy. We'll look at this verse for just a few moments and break it down. And actually, before we take it from the top, at the end of verse 12, it tells us that you are to do all of these things listed there with all of your heart and with all of your soul. I kind of want to start there, because when we do something like what the Lord is asking us to do, we want to do it with all of our heart and with all of our soul. It's not overly complicated. It's really something that's reachable for all of us. 
He's simply saying, to the best of your ability. Adam Clark, in his commentary, says this, Performing it with all of your heart, the whole of your affections, with all of your soul, your will, understanding, and judgment. Again, to the very best of your ability. And so this is what he says in this list of things that will be this formula for what success looks like. He says, to begin with, to fear the Lord thy God. Now, the word fear doesn't mean to be afraid of the Lord. It doesn't mean that we're to shy away from him. It does not mean that we should be afraid. You know, when you say that you shouldn't be afraid of God, people scoff at the idea that this is their view of God. I've suggested that to somebody. They go, well, I'm not afraid of God. But, but then they live their lives as if they believe that God's looking down at them in harsh judgment or poised to get them with a gotcha the moment when they fail to, to meet his, well, what they feel that his expectations are from them. So they're kind of living, kind of cowering, and not recognizing that God is on their side. That the Lord, by the way, the Lord is for us. Amen? The Lord is on our side. We just have to get that cemented in our minds as we walk this Christian way that the Lord is on our side. He's pulling for us. He is rooting for us. He wants us to be successful. The fear that he's talking about in this verse is about respect. That we're to respect him. And our respect comes in response to God's faithfulness to us over the years. And his faithfulness goes way beyond what we deserve. If we were to take a look back and see the the path that we have walked and how the Lord has come to our help uh, in various times and situations, we can see that the Lord is always uh, on our side and always working on our behalf. So that's how we can fear the Lord with confidence. Then it says to walk in all his ways. Let me share this little axiom with you, okay? We reveal what we believe in the way that we behave. Right? One more time. We reveal what we believe in the way that we behave. First John uh, says this so well. Listen to this. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. So, we reveal what we believe by the way that we behave. Then he goes on to say this, to love him. You know, we just need to return the love that God has shown to us. That's not difficult. When we consider what the Lord has done for us and to the extent that he loves us, the price that Christ paid on Calvary for for us, it, it humbles us beyond words. When we consider that God gave his only begotten son to us to die for our, for the forgiveness of our sins, if we could just, if we could just fully grasp that. There are times when I pray, Lord, help me to better understand the price that you paid. Help me to better understand Calvary. When I get a glimpse of it, my love for the Lord increases dramatically. It's, it's, 
it's, uh, it's such a wonderful, overwhelming feeling to recognize that God loves us that much. And to love God with our total being is really the fulfillment of the great commandment. It says in Matthew twenty two twenty six. you know this. They came and said, Master, what is a great commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And he adds, and the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So in loving God, we fulfill what God wants the most. He's looking for us to love him and to love him more than anything else. In the natural, giving love to a person is giving them your full attention. And this is what God's requiring from us, and nothing less is is acceptable. When we love, if we say we love the Lord, then we are really giving Him our full attention. Everything else kind of fades away. Nothing else is, is as important. When it comes to the Lord, He's at the top of the list. He's the highest of our consideration. He's the one we love the most. And this degree of love actually motivates us to do this, this last part. Uh, it's to serve the Lord thy God. We serve not to cause God to love us. We serve because we love him above all others. That's the motivation right there. We serve not because we're trying to get God's attention, not because we think that in doing this, that God's going to show more favor towards us. That's not the idea. We do our service to him because of our love for him. Romans 12.1 puts it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is what? A reasonable service. Not hard, not difficult. When we really do love the Lord, it comes to us so naturally that we look for opportunities to serve him. We say yes to those uh, situations and we have uh, an opportunity to do something for him and to glorify his name. It becomes natural for us to fall into that. And then finally, he says to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. Interesting. In wrapping up all of this, he actually gives us the way that we can do this. He says uh, how we can do it. He says to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes. What are the commandments of the Lord? What are his statutes? It's God's word. It's what they had in their day and then what we have today. If we're wondering how we can fulfill what is stated in this verse, we simply go to God's Word. And the Word instructs us. They had all that they needed in their day, as we do as well. God's Word reveals to us the path to what success looks like. By the way, notice what the message is in this test. Moses is saying, it's not what you accomplish for the Lord God but rather how you relate to him. Moses didn't say to the people, you need to do this, 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 and this as an accomplishment that would impress God. He's talking about, I want you to understand this is the way that you love the Lord, the way that you do what God wants you to do when you um, relate to him in the way that he wants to be related to. We're not trying to impress God. We're trying to honor God. There's a difference there. We're trying our best to honor him in all that we do. And it's a foundational biblical concept that was established 
at the beginning of time. Remember Cain and Abel? Way back there, near the very beginning. Cain was rejected. Why? Because his worship was demonstrated through what he brought to God, the animal sacrifice. It's what he accomplished with his own hands. Abel was commended. Abel, Cain was rejected. Abel was commended. Why? Because he, his worship recognized that it wasn't about what he did. He chose to obey what God said. And God said, bring an animal sacrifice. So it was his commendation. He fulfilled what God wanted him to do. There's a book in the Bible that's named after man. That's very, uh, uh, very, we know all, we've read his story very many times, so we're familiar with him. And in this book, by the name of Job, in Job 1.8, God asked the question, this question of Satan. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in all the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? That's the question that God asks of Satan. The narrative, briefly, is a fact uh, that Satan comes on uh, into heaven and, and is in an audience with God. And the Lord asks him, you know, hey, where you been? And Satan says, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. I guarantee you that as he was walking to and fro in the earth, he wasn't taking in the scenery. He's people watching. He was looking around. He was looking to see what he could see. And knowing this, the Lord poses this question. Have you noticed Job? And he, then he lists Job's characteristics. Listen to his characteristics. He's a perfect man. He's an upright man. One who fears God. One who shuns evil. Notice God doesn't say anything about Job and his material possessions, his vast material possessions, or his amazing family. doesn't mention that at all. He just mentions the attributes that commend him to God. He's a perfect man, an upright man, one who fears God and he shuns evil. And the only thing that impressed God about Job is how Job's life mirrored the attributes of God. So he was close to God close enough to him that he developed the attributes of God in the way that he conducted his life. With God commending the goodness of this man, Job, Satan, in his own evil way, becomes cynical. And he contends that this pious behavior of Job is only because he wants to protect his possessions. That's the only reason he wants to do that. So God gives Satan permission to bring calamity into Job's life. And his entire world is turned upside down. Everything he gained, every possession that he had, his most cherished relationships were either challenged or destroyed. And yet through it all, at the end of the entire narrative here in that first chapter, it says this in Job 1.22, In all this... Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. How is this possible? How is it possible that somebody uh, like Job go through the devastating circumstances in his life which would have destroyed any individual 
It wasn't that he was superhuman. How was it possible? Because his life was rooted in a relationship with God, and his highest priority was to honor him and follow his commands. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord God require of thee? Or church of God, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul? Moses reminded the children of Israel as they prepared to enter the promised land, how they needed to be. You know, I'm thinking, you know, with all the things that are going on around these days, our promised land may not be that far off. And the Lord is speaking to us. You're about ready to depart, saints. How should we be towards God? The formula is there. It's about our hearts being knit with his. It's about us doing all that we can do to follow him with all of our heart and to love him more than anything else. That is the way. And it's possible. It's not an impossible task. It's it's actually not only doable, but there is so much joy in doing it. We found that to be true, haven't we? That the more... I've heard this saying uh, many times as I was growing up, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows... Well, you know, after you get a few years along, young people, you'll get there, Lord, if the Lord tarries. But it is so true. The more you serve him, the more you love him, the more you know him, the sweeter he grows. And that is the Christian walk. Moses defined it. The Lord inspired him to give us these words. And it's good for the, it was good for the children of Israel in their day. And it is good for us in our day. We will do that, won't we? We will follow the Lord in just that way. And we'll have another opportunity to cement that relationship on our knees here tonight. The Lord is reaching out. The Lord is calling after our hearts. The Lord is drawing him, drawing us close to him. He's done it so many times before and bless us in this sanctuary. And he'll do it again tonight as we stand and sing song number 588. Come out and pray.